Hi, you're listening to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Ogden, Utah. My name is John Draskovic. I'm the pastor here. And what you'll hear is the message, the sermon from the week's worship before. And uh, you can always check out the full service that has the music and our prayers and liturgy on our YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, you can just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden and you can find us there. We've got all our services recorded, including the, the most recent um, live stream of our, of our service. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you find it to be a blessing. Grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, and it is so good to have you joining us for the podcast this week. Uh, You can't see it, but this is Pentecost. This is uh, May 28th, and um, this is the season of the liturgical calendar, which is a little bit different than our typical calendar, right? The liturgical calendar walks us every year through high points in the salvation story and in the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, um, Pentecost, the word actually means 50 days. It is 50 days after Easter. Um, And so it happens kind of at the same time every year tied to Easter, which does move around. And this is the day that we celebrate, we remember, we lift up the giving of the Holy Spirit to the community of faithful who were gathered in Jerusalem, and it it empowered them to do just amazing things. And uh, the week before, we had a guest preacher, Miriam, who came in and talked about um, the the kind of languages and the speaking in tongues part. So I didn't really talk so much about that this week. This week, what I wanted to do was lift up the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives and brings for the sake of the building up of the body, of the community, of the common good of the church. Uh, and so we really, we look at the First Corinthians 12 passage, which is the epistle reading for Pentecost. And you, I don't think you're going to get to hear it here because it's not in the sermon, but we go on right from the message to ordaining and installing our elders and our deacons here, which is part of the gifting of the Spirit. The Spirit gives people gifts for the sake of the community. And so it's a really beautiful tie-in. Uh, so I just wanted to let you know that because you're not going to hear, you're, you're not going to hear that in the podcast here. But uh, you're still going to walk away with something, I I promise you that, that will uh, give you something to to chew on uh, during this message. So I hope you enjoy it, and we'll we'll, uh, get to it now. Holy God, like a rushing wind, your spirit moved upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Like a purifying fire, your spirit seared their hearts and minds with the message the good news of salvation. Send your spirit upon your church today, here, now. Stir up our courage. Rouse us for prophetic witness that we may join with all Christians who proclaim to the world the mighty deeds of power in Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, like I said with the kids, today is that one day of the year when we break out our Red, you know the red. The red doesn't get used a whole lot, and just so happened that last week we had our pulpit swap in the Presbytery of Utah, and so I invited our executive presbyter Miriam here, um, which you got to just enjoy the gift that she is and that beautiful German accent of hers. Uh, and I knew that Miriam was doing her doctoral thesis on 
uh, the Pentecost experience and multicultural, multi, I mean, she, you know, one of those people that make you just feel bad about yourself. She's like, oh, I know like seven or eight languages, like no big deal. And I speak English and bad English, right? Those are my languages. And so I asked her if she would come and speak to that. And in this way, we kind of stretched Pentecost out a little bit. You know, we got two weeks of Pentecost this year. So, you know, guilty by the liturgical police. Uh, But she talked about that Acts chapter 2 and connected it to Genesis 11, the the reversing or the undoing of the Babel story. Um, And so I'm going to talk about something a little different today. Today's text was the, the epistle reading from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, the first letter. And in a nutshell, that text that we read is about the work of the Holy Spirit in our communities of faith. And that's what I want to talk about today. And my guess is that this is something that about 10% of you are you know, comfortable and excited about. 90% of you think this is something that happens with Pentecostals in a tent at a revival somewhere. So I want to um, kind of explore a little bit what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 and what that means for what we're doing here today. Now, that, there's a section here, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which are kind of like, they, it's an argument that Paul's making as a whole. This is the introduction, is what you heard Cheryl read today, about how the Spirit works in both unity and diversity. And the image that Paul will go on to use is the image of the body, which was actually a common image, uh, metaphor at that time, right? The body has many parts, but it's still one body and all the different parts depend on each other. And if you don't believe me, if you've ever had shoulder surgery or knee surgery, you realize quite suddenly how quickly you need all of your parts, And uh, then it moves into chapter 13, which is that beautiful love chapter, love is patient, love is kind, that you hear at weddings. And that chapter is really about setting up the argument that um, love is more important than any of these spiritual gifts that he enumerates. And he enumerates many. And, And this argument culminates in chapter 14. And this is the one that makes Presbyterians in particular very uncomfortable because it's the one that talks about speaking in tongues. And that's actually the issue that Paul is trying to get at. So everything from 12 to 13 is building to that issue, because that was one of the things that was going on in the Corinthian church, is that there were some arguments, some disagreements, some pride that was showing its head around these spiritual gifts, particularly the speaking of tongues. So you really can't talk about chapter 12 without addressing that bigger argument that's being made about some of the more unusual things that the Spirit does in the life of the church. And as we think about some of the more unusual things that the Spirit does in the life of the church, let me pause to offer this. There are strange things that happen in our world. Unexplainable things that happen. Things that I can only categorize as mysterious, supernatural, divine, inbreaking an encounter with the holy. They don't happen often, but they do happen. And I don't think we should shrink our experience to fit our understanding. I think we should allow our understanding to be enlarged to fit our experience. 
And so I'm guessing that there are folks in here right now you're sitting next to. It may be you who have had one of these or maybe more mysterious, unexplainable, divine inbreaking events. So speaking in tongues may be your personal nightmare. But I don't discount that it's real. I don't discount that it is fruitful for faithful people to participate in. I, I have never personally had an angelic visitation, but I have talked with very serious engineer people who have confided in me and told me about experiences like this. Not the kind of person who's prone to flights of fancy. And usually, they're kind of scared to own that and to say that this thing happened. I'm oftentimes the only person that they've talked to because they think they sound crazy. These things happen in the world. The world is a far more mysterious place than we think it is. So the issue here, the real issue underlying all this argument about the gifts of the Spirit and the speaking of tongues and the interpretation of the speaking in tongues is that some of these fantastical gifts of the Spirit in this little church, in this Greek city of Corinth, and remember, they were Greek, they were, they were a Roman colony, and so they were pagans. These folks were buying into a hierarchy of spirituality. And that's really what Paul's trying to get at. This idea that like there are those who are a little higher on the ladder than the rest of us. And they were using these gifts that they'd been given as an excuse to rank themselves on the ladder. And no, nobody you know, puts themselves all the way down at the bottom, right? They're, they're up here. Right? They're saying, well, this gift is better than that gift, and therefore this person is more spiritually superior to that person. So let me pop that bubble right now. They're called gifts. Okay? You don't choose, you don't earn a gift. Gifts are just given. You earn wages, not gifts. So why do we keep trying to rank ourselves based on gifts that we have been freely given that we didn't do anything for? It's like tall people bragging about being tall. Well, you didn't do anything for this. And what Paul's trying to do is bring some order into this disorderly, self-centered community and these practices because Paul is telling them the point is about building up the community. It's about doing good in the church. And if we are honest with ourselves, we would probably admit we haven't stopped doing what that Corinthian church did as well with our spiritual gifts. And this can look a couple of different ways. So, for example, sometimes it presents itself the way that it did in that church in Corinth. Sometimes we look at how spiritual and holy and gifted we are and like cue the smile with a little tune. Right? Look how perfect we are. Look how amazing these gifts are. Look at how spiritual I am. Now, probably more often the case in our context, just because of our tradition and who we are as people, personality, you found yourself into the Presbyterian church, probably not by accident. It can work the other way around. And I consider this spiritual self-deprecation. 
well, I'm not as holy. I'm not as spiritual as they are, right? I don't have those kinds of gifts. I'm, I'm like a, I'm a low level Christian, right? My gifts aren't flashy. They're not impressive. So I probably don't, I probably don't have Jesus the way that they do. Right? We do that to ourselves. Or even worse, this is one that I see all the time. They're like, well, I didn't, I didn't go to a Bible college. I didn't, I didn't go to seminary. I don't work in the church. So I must be lower on this spiritual ladder than everybody else. So let me say in a pulpit appropriate way, bovine excrement to that. (laughs) Now it took some creativity. (laughs) That's not the way it works. Okay. Paul goes on to great lengths in this section to talk about the variety of gifts that are given. And it's not an exhaustive list. It is descriptive, but it is representative based on this particular issue. And he talks about unity that exists in diversity and diversity that exists in unity, right? That's that body metaphor that he rolls into. And if I could put my interpretation onto his words here, I would say that what Paul is talking about is Being united doesn't mean that we have to be uniform. Unity is not uniformity. And here's a couple examples of what I think that means. Okay, now I don't know this from personal experience. This hasn't been part of my life at all. But I have been told that if you play in an orchestra, so I know there are some of you here who have, uh, there is an unspoken hierarchy within the orchestra. Uh, On the top rung, you have the strings. And then the top of the top are the violins. And then below them, you've got the woodwinds, and then the brass, and then finally the percussion. And yet, if you're going to play a symphony, you need all of the instruments. The same is true for uh, team sports, right? So think about football. You know who gets all the credit, right, and gets all the attention? It's the quarterback, the running back, the receivers. But let me tell you, you can have the best quarterback in the world, but if they don't have an offensive line that can block, he ain't doing much. He's going to have a lot of black and blues. Uh, We're in baseball season right now. You know, you can have a dominant pitcher throwing no hitter, but if his team can't produce any runs at bat, he's not going to get the win. And Paul is making the point that, and Austin, would you, uh, would you put the screen down here? Paul's making the point that being part of this new humanity, the new creation that he metaphorically calls the body of Christ, it's more like being part of a team. It's more like being part of an orchestra than it is being a special and unique snowflake with those amazing, fantastic gifts. I'm really hoping this doesn't hit me as it comes down. Thank you. Right? Like, I don't care how good of a violin section you may have. There are some pieces of music that you just cannot play without the trombone, the bassoon, the tuba, or the timpani. We all need each other. And you don't have to bow down to the violin section just because they think that they're so special. Yeah, they have their part to play. But so do you. So do all of us. 
And so I wanted to show you something. Uh, this is a little video here. Uh, and this is, okay, so I'm not choosing sides here, all right? I just want to say that up front. Uh, in the college football world, there is a university that is known in the Big Ten for its football program called The Ohio State University. Uh-huh, okay, see, I'm not choosing sides. Um, they have a signature move in their marching band. See, this didn't go where you thought it was going to go. Okay, they spell out the word Ohio, right? And so I'm going to show you a little video here that, that kind of illustrates this. And I want you to pay attention to right at the end. It kind of goes in fast forward, so it looks super impressive. Um, but there is, there is one, one instrument that the one... You do not play the sousaphone expecting to be the highlight of the show. But every game, every home game, a fourth or fifth year sousaphone player gets to dot the I of the Ohio. And it's like, this is their moment to shine. You never know what you're going to get when you show up here, right? So I want to talk a little bit just about the confusion that I think we experience in our world about spirituality. Okay, the way that Paul leads into the discussion in verse 1 is he says, I'm going to talk to you for a minute about spiritual things. And he goes on to talk about spiritual gifts, but he starts about spiritual things. And why does that difference, what difference does that difference make? Well, um, the way that the word is used here in 1 Corinthians, it signals that at least some people in this church were confused about spirituality. Paul faced this problem, and we face it as well. The confusion in the minds of our world between something that is spiritual and something that is Christian. They are not necessarily the same thing. We live in a world that is starved of spirituality. They've even created this, this category of people who are looking for that. They say, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And so it's easy to think that anything which seems to be in touch with something supernatural or spiritual must be from God. But Paul, in verse 2, reminds the Corinthian Christians that in their pagan life, they had these experiences as well. Sometimes they were carried off into flights of ecstasy, right? And we all know people who've had spiritual experiences that they don't go to church, they don't know Jesus. Paul's saying there's nothing particularly Christian about spiritual experience. Which makes sense because, you know, to be human is to be a spiritual being. We believe what we say about being made in the image of God, that God created us to be in relationship. Well, then it's a package deal. There's like just something inherent within us that is tuned to the spiritual world. As a matter of fact, uh, the 20th century French theologian and paleontologist Pierre Teilhard de Chardin said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. That's a reorientation there. But Paul wants us to know the point of being in touch with the things of the spirit is not just to have these ecstatic flights of spiritual experience, to, to kind of be lifted up to the mountaintop. He's saying the point of being connected to the Spirit is that you will lift up the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He even goes to say one of the criterion 
of the Holy Spirit's inspiration is that it empowers people to say Jesus is Lord. And this isn't uh, just a parroting the words. You know, I know I invited the kids to say that. And, and one day, they'll know what that means, and they'll be able to, Lord willing, say it for themselves from their hearts. But if you can say that, if you can say Jesus is Lord, then ipso facto, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You are sharing in the Spirit's power. So if you have said that and meant it, if you have claimed that for yourself, but you don't have a flashy gift and you're wondering, what well, I don't know about this Holy Spirit, I don't know about this Pentecost stuff. Hey, God's Spirit is in you. And this one drives me nuts because I have known really good, faithful, Jesus-loving Christians who have started to doubt themselves because they got somebody in their life who said, well, you haven't had this particular experience that I've had. It's always the one that I've had. And therefore, I don't think you really have God's spirit. Ah. Bovine excrement. Does this spiritual experience lead you to be loyal to the risen Lord, or does it lead you somewhere else? That's really the question. And if it leads you somewhere else, it very well may be spiritual, but it's not Christian. As always, thanks for being with us. Thanks for spending this time. You could be doing a lot of other things with this half hour, but you are uh, spending it exploring God's word with us here at First Presbyterian Church. That's a blessing to us. I hope it is a blessing to you as well. I hope it's building up of your faith and helping you grow in your discipleship. And if you want to uh, participate more broadly in the worship of our our community of faith here, our congregation, you can check us out on our YouTube channel. You just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden in YouTube and you'll find us. And you could always visit us in person. We're, we're here on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. if you're ever in Ogden. And um, of course, if you would like to help support this podcast, if you'd like to support our streaming, if you'd like to support the ministry here, you know, it, it takes financial commitment to um, continue to do what we do. I'd encourage you to go to our website and you can give that way, www.fpcogden, as in First Presbyterian Church Ogden.org. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your commitment. Uh, God bless you, and we'll see you here next week.